0: This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy.
1: It is the Chicago Verse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago.
0: All right, Jaima Black, live with Dynasty Podcast, broadcasting live from Dynasty Studios in Pilsen. And I am here. I'm joined by two guests on the podcast for our first interview of the night. To my far left, we have Josh Kaplan making his first-time debut on the podcast and joining him, uh, old-time friend of the podcast, Eddie Sanders. And we were just saying before the mic was even on, like, I have you on my phone uh, you know, like next to your name In parentheses it says BBU So that's how long we've been having you on the podcast What is that, probably like 2008?
1: Yeah, we'll say 2008, definitely
0: Oh my god Yeah. So a decade in
1: That's a 10 year challenge right there It is, <laughs> yeah. it is a 10 year challenge <laughs> You should put up your yeah. first
0: podcast <laughs> right. and this podcast Definitely <laughs> Had you passed the bar when you were in BBU When you were first on this podcast 10 years ago? Or No Wow. Because I,
1: I didn't pass the bar until
0: 2009. So that is a glow-up. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but,
2: but, but first, first try.
0: Yeah, first it, was, try, it was the first try. Yeah. I wasn't out here. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. Not a lot of people get it on the first try. True. Well, right on. Uh, gentlemen, thank you guys for coming up. Thank you, you for know, Eddie, you and I were talking on Instagram. I saw that you're starting a podcast, and, and you're always, you've always got a lot going on. And I thought, like, hey, you know what? You are somebody who i like having on the podcast seeing that you're doing a podcast was like oh my god it's probably about time to have eddie back on and then we started emailing and i'm like so what do you have happening and you go through a whole list and i want to hear about how josh is involved but like let's just start at the beginning like how was last year for you guys how was this year for you like how has everything been for the two of you things have been good
1: yeah Yeah. started working with josh in may of 2018 so over at trolling capital now so uh that's just been exciting, you know, a lot more clients, a lot more work and it was actually Josh that came up with the idea as far as the podcast. We were just talking about how we can just educate the community a little bit more, and that was our approach as lawyers that are here for for the artists. I think it was important for us to just record some of our conversations about what's going on in the industry, what they should look out for
0: you know yeah and and Josh, how did you uh kind of get? involved? I mean, obviously the two of you are working together, but like, where did the idea for the podcast come from or what sparked that?
2: Well, we just all have really good ideas all the time and we're constantly talking (laughs) about them. Um, but no, I, I think that Eddie and I always talk about how we're sort of this unknown group of experts in Chicago. A lot of people, especially in the hip hop community, don't even know that you can find lawyers like us in Chicago Mm -hmm. that actually know the music business. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a, I've had a blog, I've had a, um, called Lawyer for Musicians, uh, write articles on there all the time. Eddie's written some articles on there too. It's like, I don't know that people read blogs anymore, um, but they listen to podcasts. So why don't we just take some of these article ideas and, and bring them live? And just to, to clarify, you know, bring everybody into the
0: type of legal work that you are doing specifically, the two of you. Yeah. Um, I would say
1: entertainment and media is the field with a primary focus in music. Yeah. Um, most of my clients are in... The music industry, I don't do a lot of film. I have a couple clients in film, so everything is mostly music-based. And I was thinking about it, a lot of them are songwriters and producers as well. So yeah. it's less recording artists and protecting more producers and songwriters.
0: And the two of you, did you meet at the firm,
2: or did you know each other prior to? How were we introduced? Because yeah. I've known Eddie for a long time as well, and then it wasn't until recently that I said, you should come work with us. Yeah. But I don't remember. I think you were still in law school, because yeah, I'm older. I think it was... Empire Liquors, I think. Was yeah, yeah, actually. Empire
0: Liquors, yeah. man. That was in Wicker Park, right? Yeah. Yep. God, it's like we are throwing it back here. <laughs> yeah, we're
2: old. Yeah. For
0: sure. <laughs> I feel like after this, Experience, we should go hit up like right. Son and yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so the two of you met, but now now it made sense to really kind of combine your your powers and and your expertise. True. Into these projects
2: yeah, I, I knew um, Eddie was around doing it and I didn't know many other music lawyers in town that I really respected that also had experience. I mean he said BBU I mean he was mm-hmm. he was in a band publishing, managed some people, I do the same thing minus the band. so yeah, it made a lot of sense to partner up. I think
0: whenever you have a professional, whether it's an attorney or, or otherwise manager, publisher, whoever agency, you know, representative who has been on multiple sides of the table, like that's really valuable because then you're not just assuming what it's like for the artist. You're not just assuming what it's like for the songwriter, but it's like, you know, that side of things as well. And, you know, for the two of you, you know, Eddie, you mentioned that maybe people don't know that there are attorneys like the two of you in Chicago. And I think that's common where maybe artists don't really know why they need legal representation or when they need legal representation. So how much of your work is people coming to you versus you seeing something happening and you saying, oh, no, 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 stop talking, don't say anything else on Twitter, let me help you?
1: A lot of my friends are are in this industry, so I'm always having conversations with them about what they're doing. It might not translate me being their actual, them being clients of mine, but just the initial conversation of, all right. I just started making music. What's my first step? Should I be getting split sheets? So I started LLC. So I'm always playing that educator role of just trying to inform people of those initial steps so that they can start off smoothly. You know.
0: Yeah. And so the two of you are working with clients through the firm, and now you're looking at this podcast. So you touched on this a little bit, but talk about some of the goals and I guess the the content that you're looking at to deliver with this podcast? Like, what are you hoping it will accomplish and who are you hoping it will reach?
2: Well, I think you touched on it. I mean, because we sit on different sides of the table, management, artist, publisher, label, we have all of those actually happening at our firm. So we can speak about a lot of different things. Um, Obviously, we're going to lead with the legal side of things because that is our chief area of expertise. But The law in music is constantly changing, especially right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there was just that Music Modernization Act. Yeah, so that is, uh, we're seeing changes. We're seeing the MMA effect changes on a lot of our clients because we have distributors as clients and labels as clients (laughs) as well as the musicians themselves. So, I mean, we could have an entire podcast just about, the MMA except nobody would listen
0: well I mean maybe maybe (laughs) Maybe not check in a little
2: bit but yeah it'd be boring
0: well okay on that note then so that was actually going to lead into my next question so we dovetailed this nicely you are a good podcaster so um (laughs) the question I was already going to ask next is that I think all of us have seen firsthand with artists and creatives that they might range from being like maybe unintentionally uninformed about the business side of things to being willingly uninformed to the point where it's like, look, somebody else can deal with that. I don't want to think about this. I don't like reading contracts. I don't like knowing what's going on with that. It's just not, you know, I just want to write the songs. I just want to be creative. So how do you inform an audience that is, you know, art is kind of at its core sort of disinterested in business on a lot of levels? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good it's question. A good question. I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to challenge it. I'm no, just no, saying, I, like, <laughs> it's something I see a lot, too, with my students, you know? For where sure. like They are, I teach at Columbia. I say that all the time on this podcast. But it's like, I teach this entrepreneurship. The students are, you know, late teens, early 20s for the most part. And they're blindingly brilliant when it comes to their craft. But a lot of them, and some of them already come in being like, hey, I'm on IMDB. I know how to sign a contract. But yeah. for the most part, they're coming in and they're, they're intimidated by contracts and they might think, you know what, I don't want to be on social media, I don't want to do the business part of this, I just want to paint, I just want to do this.
2: Well, I think that's the ultimate goal, right, is to have them be able to just focus on their craft, knowing that everything else is taken care of, Yeah, and that's where we come in, right? Because uh, it's our job to make sure that their rights are protected and they're actually getting paid for their art. But to bury your head in the sand and just be like, I don't want to deal with it, I don't care, that's how you get screwed. I mean, it, you can get screwed by your manager, you can get screwed by your lawyer, so you have to pay attention to the bare minimum if you want to make a living and do this for a career.
0: Well, and we even see this with larger artists who are, at, like, sure. you know, we yeah. see headlines on Billboard all the time about, like, a Lady Gaga-type artist who will say, like, it turns out my accountant's been stealing from me, it turns out my manager, and I'm not even singling out Gaga, I can't remember if that's actually happening with her. But artists at that level, too, like, you can get screwed at any level, like, at the very beginning or even at that, like... Drake Kanye level For sure And maybe more than Because there's more money Yeah Yeah. So that's the thing You just
1: You have to understand The business you're in If you think about Any other profession You understand The business aspect of it If you're selling furniture You're going to understand The ins and outs Of supply and demand You're going to Understand the business Structure of it So as creatives They can't just Like you said Bury their hand in the sand And like Oh I just want to make Great art Because if you don't know what PR does, then you don't know if you're paying for a good PR company. If you don't know what your lawyer is supposed to actually handle, you don't know if that lawyer is doing his job. So even though you don't have to know the ins and outs of everything, you should have, like you said, the bare minimum understanding of of the business.
0: Otherwise, there's, and I know the two of you would not do this, but there's a lot of people out there who, if the artist isn't checking up on them, they'll do the bare minimum collect the paycheck and be like, "Well, great. If they're not checking, why am I going to work harder for them?" Right. Your management generally is only going to work as hard
2: as you kind of expect and demand them to work in a lot of cases. For sure. Yeah. We have artists on, you know, every coast, LA, New York, international, all that. So we don't just work with Chicago artists. And because of that, we get to we have more experience, right? We have mm-hmm. experience with some of the bigger firms and some of the bigger management companies, and that's another sort of degree of success at a lot of artists. Think that they achieve if if they find a lawyer in New York that represents Kanye and represents Drake and represents Gaga and all that, then they think they're protected. Right, it's not not the truth. It all. almost might be the opposite because that
0: manager or a lawyer or whoever is going to be so focused on like that Gaga money, that exactly. Kanye money, exactly. that like the artist at the bottom is not going to be their main focus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now you know, I think it was you, Josh, who mentioned kind of artists leaving money on the table. And talk a little bit about that concept, what it means. I mean, I think people know like kind of what it means at its base, but it's like, how much money do artists leave on the table? And, of course, we're meaning, like, something where an artist is not aware of a revenue stream yeah. or there's something where they could be earning revenue and they are not actively pursuing that. Maybe they didn't file the right paperwork. And... Inadvertently, they're leaving money out of their account, which is obviously not the goal for anybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, it can happen a lot of different ways. I think the number one way that I see artists leaving money on the table is not signing up for SoundExchange. SoundExchange pays decently, and it's kind of, it's not even a pain to really sign up no. for SoundExchange, but it's, it's just amazing. Just an application process. Yeah, it's days. amazing how um, artists just forget about it or don't think that it applies to them. And then, I mean, the PROs, BMI and ASCAP and CSAC, that's another... And those have all been around forever. Forever. Mm-hmm. And so there's it, no excuse to be like, eh, well, not only it. do you have to sign up, you've got to actually register your songs. So if you don't mm-hmm. register your songs, you're not getting paid if any of them get played. So we see a lot of that, of just simple stuff that you can fix pretty easily. Yeah, and we've seen artists on like major, major level. label levels not
1: signed up for BMI. Signed to major oh, publishers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so... I know the number, the specific number is going to vary for each artist, but it's like, I think there is the perception, whether it's true or not, or somewhere in between at this point, that artists can't make money from their music anymore. They can only make the money from touring and from merchandise and from, you know, sync and things like that. But is that fully true or are there still ways if an artist is savvy and willing to put in the work or bring on the right team to do the work that an artist can make money from their actual music product?
1: They definitely can. It all depends on the percentages that they give up to third parties. Yes, touring, merchandising are excellent streams of income. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the right situation, uh, you look at an artist like a 21 Savage who owns all of his masters, has a a good split with Epic when it comes to royalty percentages, he's going to do well when his album sells. Um, You look at these independent artists, Chance of that nature. Mm -hmm receiving 100% of the profit. So yes, there is money in the music. And making sure you understand all the revenue streams is is more important than just saying, oh, I want to have it up on Spotify. Let me get a check from them.
0: Sure, because maybe that Spotify check isn't going to be the thing that moves them into the larger house. Right.
2: Well, what what we're seeing a lot of, especially with independent artists that, that have a pretty good footprint on Spotify or Apple, is that if you can show that and you can own your masters and you control your publishing and you can show that you actually make money from Spotify, distributors are starting to write checks. Well, Significant I th- checks.
0: I think that's true on a lot of levels. It's like back in the day when I worked at the radio station Q101 and we did the local music show, artists used to ask us all the time, like, how do I get on the show? And we would say, you know, we're looking for artists that are showing us that if we don't play them, we're going to look like, like what are we doing? Right. Like, why are we sleeping on this? And I think that's true on a lot of levels where, let's call it the business side, whether it's the manager, the publicist, the, you know, the attorney, whoever, I think a lot of times they're looking for the artists who are already doing the work, for sure. and then they can say, great, let's step in. This person's clearly serious about their craft.
2: Yeah, it's not really a creative industry outside of the artist. So right. you're not, not going to find labels who are being super creative. They're going to see somebody that's already doing really well. Distributors are not going to take huge risks. They're going to write a check when they see, oh, all right, you already have 10 million streams or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and you're out there you know, promoting your work smartly, building a great social engagement strategy all the you know you got an email list all these kind of
2: things yeah on as uh managers i've I've seen two of our artists that have been really successful on spotify get decent checks from distributors and they're just basing it off of the streams that they're already going to collect that they know they're going to collect from what work the artist has already done and the distributors want to see a good team in place and then they'll write you a check so how are artists
0: finding you or how can they find you guys? How can they reach you? Like if somebody's listening to this and they think, Oh wait, I don't know. Am I leaving money on the table? Or like A, let's let's put it this way, A, how can they reach you and B, I think there is again the perception of, oh, well I can't afford an attorney, so let's not even you know, like if you don't have health insurance, you're like, it's okay, my leg's not that broken. <laughs> so like, leg. you know, How can artists connect with an attorney if they have the idea that like you know it's it's just millions of dollars to book an attorney?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always down to have the the initial conversation to see what they have at play, uh, what they have working. So let's say socials. This is Esquire on Twitter, Mm -hmm. Sanders Esq on Instagram. uh, Website tkhlaw.com. Yep, yep. So that would be the website, Um, and yeah, and we're here in the city, and we're out. I'm. At most of the shows, so
0: you're an accessible guy. Yeah, I mean you're like, a staple in the city, man.
1: So you can touch me. You can come say hi, and we can have conversations. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. And so, okay, so let's talk about the podcast a bit. I mean, that's something I've been wanting to learn about more as podcasts. Um, so, like, you guys are looking to start a podcast. Are you thinking it's going to be just the two of you speaking about your own experience and offering insight? Are you going to be doing interviews? Have you thought about like kind of what the mechanics of that? program is going to look like and sound like?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, first we had to get the mic situation together, so uh, <laughs> we were a really bad joke of how many lawyers does it take to plug in a mic. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be us two, uh having conversations. There will be guests on occasion, but we don't want it to be a guest-driven platform. It's just going to be more about us informing our clients. And then uh, we want to add an engineer because we need somebody to make sure it sounds right, but that's about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, keeping it, I think, bare bones or minimal is going to help it be streamlined. Yeah. You know, like when you're bringing in guests, this is kind of what I say in my podcast class, like you can kind of, there's a lot of different models, but you can do the co-host model and or the interview model, and you can mix them, but it's like if you have the co-host model like you do, the downside is sometimes you bring on a co-host who isn't as committed as you, and then you get three episodes in and they flake. I don't see either of you doing that to each other. The nice thing about interviews is that every episode kind of is unique and different, but... I think the two of you working together and sharing insight and becoming, a, you're already a resource, but sharing that resource on another platform so that artists know what they don't know, yeah. I think that's incredibly valuable.
2: Yeah, and I mean, we have to have disclaimers as lawyers that we're not giving legal advice, Yeah, but you're going to get... Advice And whether you take it as legal advice or not, you know, we can debate that later.
0: (laughs) We're not calling
2: it legal (laughs) advice, but it's not not legal
0: advice. Um, No, and and I think that that's, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Like I, uh, my dad's an attorney, he's still with us you know, and so I grew up in a household uh, with a father who's an attorney. And then I worked in the radio business and I thought, okay, great. I saw how boring law is. No offense. <laughs> you know, my dad's a bankruptcy attorney. And I was like, I saw how boring that is. I want to go work in the radio business. I want to hang out with Nine Inch Nails and Metallica and stuff. And I meet the DJ that I worked with uh, for 13 years, Chris Payne. And we sit down for our first meeting. I'm 15 years old. And he tells me, listen, man, you don't want to work in this industry. It's brutal. There's no job security." I'm going to law school. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so then I worked with him for 13 years, and that was a tremendous experience. But I was basically sort of raised by two attorneys. I kind of had two attorney dads. So, like, I was at the point where, like, in my 20s, people would be like, uh, could you pass the salt? And I'm like, all right, if you have a salt allergy, I just want you to know <laughs> that you asked for the salt, and I cannot be held. You know, and they're yeah. like, dude, just pass the fucking salt. Yeah. So it's like there's a lot of value in... I think getting that insight and I was privy to, you know, I was always able to ask like, well, okay, should I do this and from a legal perspective, you know, what kind of business do I want to launch? But a lot of artists don't have that and a lot of colleges don't offer that. And even if the information is online, maybe it's on like a platform like entrepreneur.com or inc.com but artists are not looking at that. They're trying to write their next song. They're trying to work on their website. They're trying to book a tour. So if they can turn on a podcast and listen to that while they're driving, while they're you know, doing the dishes or whatever, thats there's a lot of value in that.
1: Yeah, we want to be, be able to present the, the information that is easily digestible for the artist. So it's not... We don't want to speak in the same language that we speak in the contract. Yeah. We want to be able to break it down in layman's terms so they can have a good understanding of what's going on, not feel overwhelmed with it.
0: I think that's really value. I mean, honestly, if you can make something accessible and digestible in a way that the average artist, creative individual who has not been to law school... Right, like the furthest they've gone is maybe watching Better Call Saul or something like that, right, or SVU. If they can digest that and if they can access it, that's a winning formula
2: for sure. And I think what we talked about earlier about how we have the experience not just as lawyers, because if you meet someone who is just a lawyer, it is hard to communicate with them on a a real level. Sure. So on a casual, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we do. I can speak from the perspective of a manager. I can speak from the perspective as someone who is a publisher and a label owner, and it. It just helps. I try not to look at it as you know black and white law because that's boring,
0: right? But if you can, if you can relate it to what it means to that artist, to that musician, to that you know whoever, if you can tell them here's why this is relevant to you, yeah, that makes a real difference if you're able to connect it to their experience, yeah, you know, and fill in a gap in knowledge for sure. So, like, do you have a name for it? Is it too early to? No,
2: we got a name. We got a name and everything.
0: All right. I mean tell us what you want. You don't have to spoil the whole thing right now. I'm just,
2: I love talking podcasts. Yeah. I don't know that there's a lot of anticipation no, for it, but like, it. we can tease it, I guess. Definitely. Sure. That's
1: where we go with it. Uh, we're going in- industry standard. So. I like
2: that. Yeah. yeah industry standard. That's yeah, good. The thinking behind it is that music contracts tend to have That language in Mm. them—that the reason you're getting completely screwed is because that's the industry standard, right? So uh, we we decided to uh, take our own sort of twist on that and and explain why industry standard is not always not what you should always accept.
0: Exactly. You know, uh, there's a great documentary. I don't know if either of you have seen the Thirty Seconds to Mars doc. Mm -mm. Really? Okay. Wow. So this week (laughs) it's called Art on Netflix. It's not on Netflix. I think you might have to download it, but I think it's like two or three bucks on, like, Google Play. I mean, it's cheap. Okay. But I show it every semester in my entrepreneurship class at Columbia because we have, you know, every week's about a different topic, like, you know, registering as an LLC, you know, networking, et cetera, et cetera, right? We get to the contract week, and you know what? I don't know how to make a contract three-hour discussion or lecture interesting to a 20-year-old. So I show them that movie. It's the only week that I, like, opt out and do the teacher cop out of showing a doc. But it's this documentary. It's called Artifact, And I always preface to them, like, hey, you don't have to be a Jared Leto fan. You don't have to be a 30 Seconds to Mars fan. But it's all about, uh, you know, about 10 years ago or so, 2008, 30 Seconds to Mars were trying to get out of their contract. Because there was a seven-year statute, which may or may not still be in effect in California. Uh, You guys are the attorneys, so you would know. But, like, basically 30 Seconds to Mars is like, look, we've done nine years. Our contract's legally over because of the seven-year statute in California. And their label's, like, not so fast. You still owe us two records. So because they try to leave the label, the label, EMI, sues 30 Seconds to Mars for $30 million. And the whole thing is so punishing because they were rolling cameras because they were going to start documenting the making of their new album, and then it just so happened that, like, this all happens, right? Like, you know, that company just wanted to make a documentary about a paper company, and then look what they came up with, right? (laughs) right? So it's like, so you get this doc that goes into this Unimaginable David versus Goliath story of 30 Seconds to Mars taking on EMI, and they've even got like Irving Azoff and stuff in their corner, and it's still punishingly brutal. And it accomplishes something, two things that I think are remarkable. A, it really clearly demonstrates to students in my class how important it is that they really read their contracts and why that's important, how badly you can get screwed. I'm like, look, even someone like Jared Leto, who has Irving Azoff, can get screwed this bad. So, what chance do you think you have if you don't read your contract? And the other thing that's amazing that it accomplishes is you feel bad for Jared Leto. Which I tell them at the beginning, I'm like, by the end of this, you're going to feel bad for Jared Leto. And all of them are like, mm mm And I'm like, and then at the end, they're like, that kind of sucks, poor guy. And I'm like, right? So yeah. watch Art of... I think both of you are going to be like, holy shit.
1: Yeah, because the, the California law can't have a contract that lasts longer than seven years of service. So that's why you saw a shift in... The terms in contracts being going from years to actually number of albums and number of songs. Right, yeah. And then there's that undefined time of how long it's going to take to put out six albums as opposed to we want you for seven years. And
0: that's why we get so many greatest hits and box sets and Christmas yep. records. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And then, Eddie, you talked about some other new projects you have coming up, uh, a YouTube channel, a book, like uh, all sorts of things. Um Bring us into these other creative ventures that yeah, you the, are... It sounds like 2019 is going to be your year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the YouTube channel just co- will coincide with the podcast. Great. The book is a little bit further down the line. It's something that's more just an idea right now. Just trying to put together a, a manual you could say, for artists, that's a little bit more digestible than most of the entertainment books you have out now. The ones that are now, they're, for, they're written for lawyers and managers. They're not written for the artists. So just been trying to take my stab at creating something for, for the culture.
0: You know, I mean, I think our our friend Martin Atkins is, is someone who's really good at that, at yeah, breaking down the language. And if you've never read any of Martin Atkins, you know, Tour Smart, Band Smart books, go read those right now. But it's like, he does a really great job, too, of breaking down the language, making it accessible for the average creative. I don't mean average in any kind of derogatory term, but just, like, somebody who doesn't have that legal background and he makes it accessible and understandable. It's like, here's exactly why this matters and why you need to know it. And I know you have done work with Martin. You've been in some of his workshops and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: he's a pretty good mentor, especially when it comes to that segment as far as, like, being an educator, because I work with him over at SAE. Mm -hmm. So um, we actually, I was just with him last week, we did a music business master class down in Decatur, Illinois.
0: I think I saw that, and I think that's what kind of like reminded me. I was like, oh, I think I saw one of the images from that, so that's yeah. awesome. But I can't wait to read the book, and I can't wait to check out the podcast. That's really exciting. Definitely. And Chicago needs, you know, really good podcasts. We have really good podcasts in the city, and I want Chicago to continue growing as a podcast community and as a podcast hub. So I'm excited to listen to this, and I think the two of you offering insight into, again, these topics that are really crucial, you know, where artists are leaving money on the table or artists are at risk of, you know, being taken advantage of and helping them find out what they don't even know. I think that's just incredibly valuable. And I'm really excited for that to exist and be accessible to people.
1: Sweet. We we had to come see the Godfather
0: yeah. and get the blessing. We hope we don't disappoint. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> no, man. It's like, I, again, like I, I want there to be, this is something that People ask me sometimes, like, is there a community of podcasts in Chicago? And I'm like, I've done this 13 years and I haven't, I have not found it. And if there is one, they're not inviting me to the meetings. But it's like, I want there to be more community. And especially if it's people who like, you know, I mean, Josh, we just met tonight. But like Eddie and I, we go back a decade. It's like, I want to see people who I know and like, and who I respect, going and doing awesome work. So I just think this is a really cool thing, and I'm excited to check it out.
1: Sweet. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. People can find you guys on social media, and give us the name of the law firm again, where if they need to reach out for you for your services, they can they can get in touch.
2: So it's Trolia Kaplan. Uh, Trolia is T-R-O-G-L-I-A. Nobody knows how to spell that. We have a management company called The Propeller, um, which is just thepropeller.com. I'm at Lawyer for Musicians, L4M, and then Eddie.
1: At This Is Esquire. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There it is, man. I love it. Josh Kaplan,
0: Eddie Sanders, thank you guys both for coming up on the podcast tonight. Eddie. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming back and being on so many times over the years. And Josh, thanks for coming up for your first time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Awesome, guys.
1: You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty... Dynasty Descend.